if the prognosis is good and we can potentially try just, you know, sobriety and therapy and support and things like that, uh, that is a much easier thing to deal with, I think, than yeah. the other alternatives, right? Right. As a parent, yeah. I mean, and I think that's yeah. why it's so critical. Graham and I were talking about this last week. Going to a place like New Waters and getting this kind mm-hmm. of evaluation should actually be the first step that you take. I agree. You know, it's like you go and you get your health assessment. They take you, draw every lab possible. They take your weight. <laughs> yep. They go look at your nutrition. And, you know, you blow in the little tube. You're like, oh, great. You know, my lungs work. Uh, so it's, why are we not doing that? Good afternoon. My name is Graham Durge, and I'm the founder and CEO of New Waters Recovery in Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome to our weekly podcast, Finding New Waters. Our goal in creating Finding New Waters is to provide a resource for families to help navigate the complexities of supporting a loved one struggling with substance use or mental health. When we find ourselves in crisis due to one of these issues, most people have no idea where to turn. We hope to shed some light onto what is often the darkest hour for many families. I'm joined here today by our executive director, Justin McClendon, and Dr. Sheila Shalati. Dr. Shalati has been in the field of behavioral health for more than 20 years. She has served as an international ambassador and participant on two separate expeditions in the Middle East and Africa, working directly with victims of natural disasters and HIV and AIDS. She has guest lectured at several universities and colleges, including California State University, Pepperdine University, California Lutheran University, and Oxnard College. Sheila has served as a media consultant for various outlets to discuss general trends in the rehabilitative industry. And Sheila has served as chief operating officer for more than 13 years at Seasons Recovery Centers. She oversees all day-to-day management, including but not limited to standards of practice, employee relations, licensing, organizational compliance, and corporate infrastructure. She is highly regarded for her leadership, integrity, and cultivating a culture of inclusivity and equity. Sheila received her BA from the University of California at Santa Barbara in 2001 and her doctorate degree from the Phillips Graduate Institute in 2009. That's wow. a very nice bio. <laughs> yes, you're, so you're very well qualified to, uh, to be on this uh, podcast and, and obviously to discuss, um, you know, substance use and, and kind of the work that we do here on a daily basis. And, um, you know, I would love to just start off, you know, getting a little bit more background and just kind of, you know, your personal story, how you came into this work, what drove you to this work and, and just how you came to it. Well, I mean, my original intention in life was to be a very successful writer in New York City. So clearly that worked out super well. (laughs) Right. Uh, I had a dream. Uh, We make plans and God laughs at them. Generally, yeah. He's like, oh, what's your plan for today? Let me see what I've got going on. Right, right. uh, I was fortunate. I mean, I think I feel like at the end of the, the day, this work kind of really finds us. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're 
we have our own personal journeys. We have our experiences that contribute to kind of our passions or how we want to be of service. Obviously, at one point in my life, I thought I was going to save the world uh, and uh, made attempts to do so, whatever that may have looked like. But then I got realistic and in terms of more pragmatic and what was going to be applicable. And and I think um, administration and entrepreneurship and just kind of business is a, was a natural fit. Uh, I think I just really like also telling people what to do. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> but on the flip side, I think, you know, just the deep fascination and depth of understanding, uh, you know, the, the human construction on an emotional and behavioral level and, um, the, the recognition that we're all just really wounded and mm -hmm. we're still seeking a way to feel seen and heard at the core of all of everything that we go through, right, is to just yep. be a part of. Uh, so kind of this, this work, uh, you know, I mean, that's that, that bio, like, I was like, oh, that's a few years old. I mean, I'm, I'm in my 13th year now with seasons. Mm. What a privilege and, and wow. beautiful opportunity to be of service and uh, cultivated that uh, beautiful organization and relationship with the, the people and the clients and the staff that are all there. Uh, but it all kind of started as a way of just an entry point through, you know, just working clinically with clients and then kind of morphed into um, something that felt more developmental and things that I can really contribute to on a more systemic level and then kind of mm. what happens from there and obviously relationships with with great individuals that you know I was just having this conversation you know the connection we have as a community of providers I mean you mm. know and, and I'll speak you know candidly enough to say you know New Waters has represented themselves extraordinarily well with a very personal situation of mine and um, not only was I thoroughly impressed which is hard to do because I hold a pretty high standard <laughs> but just the comfort and the ease at which when we really come together to collaborate and to be of service mm. to this really wounded and, and deeply, um, you know, needing community, it's really a beautiful mm -hmm. gift. So my, my route here was, was circuitous, but yet, um, it's like when I came in, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but now mm -hmm. as a, as a mature adult, adulting my way through life, in many ways, I'm like, oh, I, I understand more of my purpose of why I'm here now and how I see yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, that, you know, what you kind of just touched on there that that um, what I was thinking of was, yes, we have such an incredible it's an amazing industry, right? Because it's a very intimate, very small industry in so many regards where we all kind of know each other and, mm -hmm. and, and like all the kind of good providers and the good ethical programs are all kind of work very closely together and kind of hand in hand and refer patients and, and all that. And, and it's really a beautiful thing. And it's just so it's uh, kind of perplexing because families have no idea how to access that. Right. Right. And it's so perplexing like how, and that's why we created this podcast was one of the kind of core reasons was that we wanted to create resources for people and get that information out there. Like what is an intervention? What is, you know, what all this information that we take for granted and we just know so intimately what to do is, is, you know, as I said, kind of people's worst hour. Right. Yeah. And, um, so it's, it's a complex issue and I don't know what the answer is at this point, but hopefully, you know, just getting content out there and having conversations like this and destigmatizing things and, you know, just having those conversations will help, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just, it's, go ahead. Good. No, I was just going to mention uh, when, when you were saying that. So we have uh, one of our staff members that recently switched positions and is now working in a continued, continued care department. And it was just really an interesting observation. So she's been doing that job for about a couple of weeks now. So like very, very early in that process. And she actually just said to me yesterday, she was like, I had no idea that just kind of talking about the treatment community in general across the country, because she's just dove right in and she's talking to facilities all over the place. And she's like, I had no idea as, as big as this community is, it seems like everybody knows each other. And Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, it's, it's kind of true, you know, which is neat. Just neat. All the good people know each other. That's true. There you go. (laughs) Right. There you go. You know, there's obviously places that are, that are not uh, operating on ethical grounds and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, those are typically the places that, you know, uh, are kind of like, um, under, under the rafter or whatever the term is. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is very interesting how we all kind of, you know, work very closely together and, and yeah. And however we can kind of, of, you know, create these resources for people is just going to be so beneficial moving forward. So, um, now one of the things that we kind of talked about when we were thinking about a topic of discussion here, and I love to talk about seasons of Malibu too, maybe Mm -hmm. before we get into that and just, you know, tell us a little bit about seasons and specifically, what do you guys focus on? Um, what's your kind of niche, what's your perfect client? And if you can just kind of tell us a little bit about the program. Yeah. Uh, perfect client, a motivated one, right? Oh, there you go. There you go. Please come in. I mean, I will say I've been, I've been fairly fortunate, you know, we're privately owned organization. So it's afforded me an extraordinary amount of flexibility and capacity to attend to the client's needs in a variety of ways without kind of having to go to the higher up. So what do you think? Or, you know, cost containment in the same way you think about it, if a venture capital firm owns the organization and just kind Mm -hmm. of the, the bureaucracy of all of that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, with seasons, uh, being there as long as I have, I've, I've got the great good fortune of a, a high level of staff retention, you know, uh, mm. call it visionary leadership. No, I mean, it's really just, which is not hard, which is not easy to do. I mean, we're, we're dealing with this here and, and there's so much turnover in this field, unfortunately, because it is just, it's a, bur- it's the burnout is so high. It's high intensity. It's, you know, it, it really is a tough, tough thing to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would love to understand how you, have such great retention as well. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's a, a lot of there's I don't know if it's a a secret as much as it is just attending to the people that are caring for the people coming in, you know, care yeah. for your yeah. your your people. Um, and I know that in a lot of ways, people appreciate that in financial compensation. That makes sense. But I think the the value I think there's a lot of people that also understand the value of being able to shoot their supervisor and text and say, you know, mm-hmm. I just, I need a mental health day. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling burnt out, you know, and they're not being yeah. any consequences to that. You know, I, yeah. uh, feeling like you can come and talk to the COO if you need to problem solve. There's not this way. I've, I've also learned the benefit of great boundaries and not being as accessible. There's kind of this way that, that I have a responsibility to attend and pay attention, but it's also in just the little things, you know, knowing the names of all of your employees and, and yeah. information about them, that it's relational at the end of the day. They mm-hmm. feel if your employees feel seen, then they feel taken mm-hmm. care of. If they know that upper management is just taking the time to 
ask them, you know, oftentimes I'll bring people in and I'll sit them down in the office and go, what would you like to do? Where do you see yourself? How can I help you yeah. achieve that goal? And I'm not sure there's too many COOs uh, that are willing to kind of engage in that way and, and yeah. really take a genuine interest. I'm not sure, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to have some level of turnover. It's the nature of some of these entry level positions and people are figuring it out. But I think mm -hmm. that trickles down to the client experience. Right. And mm -hmm. what people have come and what seasons is kind of known for is that level of caretaking and attention to and quality control. And that's where mm -hmm. I get, you know, maybe my own control issues come up. Great. This is a good purpose <laughs> for them to be incorporated and utilized uh, right. because that representation matters. It matters for the referent who's sending the individual or, or trying for them to decide where they want to go and offering them you know, appropriately three different choices and, you know, but it's different when I get on the line and I have an accountability to them now. Now the client mm -hmm. is going, okay, we were on that call. You said, you know, so it kind of mm -hmm. takes away the pressure of the referent having to feel like, oh my God, I'm on edge. Are they going to follow through? Because then mm -hmm. I just, you know, the organization I take over, we have a very collaborative engagement, um, transparency. So it actually makes the process pretty seamless. Um, mm -hmm. and, and listen, we have extraordinary care and sophisticated treatment, but even when we don't bat a thousand, there's no questions as to why it didn't work out. Right. You know, nobody's left in the dark going, well, who didn't communicate this to me and why did it? And I know about X, Y, and Z. So, right. you know, yeah. the, we're, we're 24 beds in Malibu, all luxury um, homes, four of them. Three of them are licensed for primary substance use, dual diagnosis. And we do have a license that treats primary mental health. So I think I always want to make the distinction. People say they treat it. We're actually licensed to treat it. Totally. And have been since big 2017. Difference. It's a big difference, yep. right? People, you yeah, know, super difference. often gets... Uh, confused, but um, mm -hmm. we have doctors that only treat licensed doctors. Well, and those are some of those questions that people don't know to ask, right? <laughs> right? And that's, you know, kind of the point of highlighting some of those things are like, what are the questions that we ask the, when we're calling these facilities, right? Right. So, yeah. you know, no, you don't know what you don't know. So that's, that's an awesome point. I love that. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, and it's just that we don't, again, no offense against like interns trying to get their hours, but when you're paying the kind of money you do to come to Seasons, you want to see experts in their field, you know, I licensed do. professionals 100%. that have been doing this a long time. And, and correct me if I'm not wrong, all of your therapists are, um, are, are doctorate level? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Which is yeah. pretty unique. There's not a lot of programs that have their whole clinical team as doctorate level candidates. So uh, that's that's huge. Thank you. And again, mm. it's it's if we've invested, it's been in the you know, you get those feedback forms at the end that gives you, you know, like we always I'm always proud to say we get two of the highest ratings in terms of those feedback surveys, one of them being. Mm -hmm. They got what they expected to get in the clinical was top notch, you know, and the second one is, is, yeah, it's, it's, I do have a lot of pride around it. And the second one being, you know, up to 95% of people would refer a friend or a loved one back, you yeah. know, to come and receive services. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's something that I think we genuinely, I go, listen, if we nailed it on those things, fantastic you know you didn't yeah. right. on tuesday no worries i can deal with that <laughs> right. you're, you're, right. you're, you're that's not as important of the five quilted standard that you were hoping okay you know we can, <laughs> these are manageable 
So it just, everybody's different, but I treat adults. That's kind of my mentality. I treat people that are highly motivated. I really assess for the fit in the milieu. I don't have to take everybody. It's Mm -hmm. a great position to be in. We've earned it. You know, we've worked to get here and uh, we feel really, really good. So we stay in our lane. We do good work. We work with our collaborators and just kind of keep it clean. Well, and I actually was just out there visiting your program last week. So I saw it in person live and it is absolutely fabulous. So, um, you know, we definitely highly recommend it to, to really anybody uh, who needs the services and, you know, kind of to change pace here a little bit. One of the things that we kind of talked about last week and and leading up to this was, you know, the increase in cannabis, um, cannabis uh, induced psychosis. Right. And um, we've been seeing a whole lot of that. I know, Justin, you know, you can speak to that uh, extensively, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, just the increase in that, the Delta eight, the, you know, all these synthetic drugs that are coming online and and obviously being sold in gas stations everywhere. Um, But How's your experience been out there in California and what are you guys seeing out there? Probably similar to yours. I'd love to hear hear your experience as well. It's been, um, you know, largely initially it was kind of anecdotal and, and head scratching where we would get these cases of perfectly mm-hmm. healthy, generally mostly leaning towards men, but we get some women that would have either an acute psychotic episode or you know, instances of more chronic psychosis, but you didn't have this kind of genesis of, of you know, kind of correlation of how right. you can route where it came from, per se, you know. So when you're looking mm-hmm. at it diagnostically, you're trying to kind of rule out, okay, is it, is, were you prodromal and did this come on? Do you have, but they don't, maybe they don't have a significant family history. It just didn't mm-hmm. quite add up. But the one thing that the through line that was consistent was daily mm-hmm. cannabis use starting mm-hmm. from a fairly young age. You know, right. or maybe it was intermittent, but then it peaked up at like 18 to like 22, whatever. Right. Yep. There's there's this way in which then it turns into this complete departure from like normative functioning. And it just mm-hmm. everyone, the family system, the client, it's it looks like a true psychotic break. Right. Um, so we would get clients that, you know, were on the top of like bridges ready to jump in the middle of a psychotic break. Or they were taken down by the police because, Mm -hmm. you know, they were running naked in the streets and, you know, and, and the one. And most of these cases, most of these cases are young adults primarily. Primarily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, we treat solely 18 and older, but, um, you know, I imagine you hear it even more in uh, adolescence, but for us, Mm -hmm. it's like that, that 22, 26, 27. Yeah. And, and, and now when I kind of hear the symptoms of, of the presentation and we'll get the kind of conceptualization, I'm like, did they smoke, did they smoke pot every day? <laughs> They're like, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's been this kind of really terrifying and um, epidemic that I think is yeah. starting to really take shape. And mm-hmm. we as providers, I think we're having more and more discussions the research is starting to give us more information. There's no argument against the potential and the active 
piece of an acute psychotic episode due to cannabis intoxication. I think mm -hmm. the professionals all agree that is very real. That happens. It's just the duration at which that occurs is typically mm -hmm. while it's active in your body and, and doing its, its thing. Mm -hmm. um, the more kind of evidence that that is leaning towards and again there's a ton of confounding variables why we have chronic psychosis um you know chronic thought disorders any of those things so you kind of are peeling it up but safe to say mm -hmm. that daily cannabis use at a young age um could certainly exacerbate the potential for somebody to kind of activate those symptoms within the changing of the brain structure. And then now you've yep. got your 25 year old who will have to be on, you know, mood stabilizers for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. yeah, 100%. It's scary. And, you know, I had a little experience with this with my nephew, um, who we put into a treatment program when he was about 16. He went to a wilderness program out in Utah and he had a great experience and um, ended up staying out there for a year and finishing school out there. And it, and it really was a, was a great thing. But when I, when my brother, you know, called me and they were having an issue and trying to kind of figure out, luckily he had me to call to say, what do we do here? <laughs> um, yeah. And I was able to kind of put him in touch with the appropriate people and got him in touch with an educational consultant because I was just too close to the case. Right. And, and I needed somebody else to step in and really manage it. And, um, and, you know, the, the piece with what I told my brother was, you know, listen, he's 16 years old. The reality that he's going to be sober for the rest of his life is very unlikely. Right. But we can plant the seed at this point and we can start to do some work. And if we can even get him from like 16 to 18 or 19 without smoking weed every day, like that's a big win. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, he's now in college at the university of Denver and, and he's doing really well and uh, he's not, you know, sober quote unquote, but he's, he's handling it and, and maybe he wasn't an addict right and, and maybe he you know he was just spiraling out at some point and and just never crest crossed that threshold at that point and we were able to kind of catch it soon enough time will tell but even if that happens like we know what to do and he knows what to do right he's been through this he has so much self-awareness he's gotten so much education around it so he he kind of knows what to do in that scenario but you know i do think that it, in, and with like, you know, legalization of cannabis out in California, I just wonder if you even see if you saw any correlation there when they legalized weed and a spike in this, uh, you know, psychosis or anything like that. But, you know, the thing that even concerns me more is, is you know, the Delta 8 and all the synthetic, you know, substances that are being sold and the THCA yeah. and the, you know, God knows what what new strain or, you know, chemical they've created. So, you know, I feel like that is really the stuff, you know, being here in North Carolina where kids can't get weed very easily, you know, or legally, and they're just going to buy this Delta 8 stuff and it's lighting them on fire. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I was thinking the same thing about the legalization in California and how, you know, maybe that what your observations are around that, Dr. Shalati. But here, to your point, Graham, so we see the same thing, uh, you know, especially in our assessment track. I mean, we do see individuals coming in to the detox kind of part of our program that are showing a similar presentation, but we have seen a lot of it in the assessment track. Uh, similar to your point, Dr. Shalati, is that, you know, the parents, whoever else in, is involved, uh, you know, they're scratching their heads, right? They're like, hey, this is going on. There's been this psychotic episode. There's been hospitalization. There's been a suicide attempt. There's no history of this. There's the you know, the THC use. Uh, and we've just got same, same as you said, I mean, we've gotten to the point where it's like immediately you're like, we know exactly what's going on here. We've seen this a number of times already, but here, 
I mean, we do have some people, a lot of people that come in from outside of the state for that assessment program, but a lot of them are within North Carolina where it's not legal yet. So it's these Delta derivatives and things like that. Um, but yeah, that, so anyways, long way to get to that same question is, so I wonder what your observations have been since the legalization in California, because I would imagine that is totally different. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I think, remember, everybody had their medical card before it got legal. Sure, right, right. Sure. So it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while. 20 years? Or? At least. Okay. Yeah. 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 So kind of the introduction of, the, yeah, the legalization of cannabis, mm-hmm. um, you know, is something we've been attempting to like look at. And, and listen, I'm, you know, I think the reality is every, the medicinal purposes, the application of the uses of, you know, when under appropriate measures and oversight has tremendous impacts and effects. We know that you can't argue with the literature that supports this. So, you know, I want to be careful not to create this kind of, you know, idea that my opinion on any of this is inserted. We're just kind of speaking to a reality as a parent, we're all parents. This Mm -hmm. is something we have to think about. And I think we kind of have this social social, we've kind of taken a social exhale that like, okay, cannabis is okay. It's all right. Like my kids, it's not the worst thing they can be doing, you know, but unless they have an underlying mental health issue, (laughs) right. Right. (laughs) Which you don't know, you know, either your next phone until 20. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Do you ever see something that's like, Oh, I have a, I have no issue at all. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) some spectrum of like 100 you you spend enough time on social media you have some sort of like generalized anxiety disorder totally. sure absolutely <laughs> uh you know so yes the severity the prodromal effects the mm-hmm. attention to uh, parent attitudes a lot of parents smoke with their kids you know so yeah. Yeah. i listen i'm i'm not the <laughs> i'm the bearer of fun not the take away or of fun but right. at the same time i think there needs to be such a deep sense of understanding and education that your mm-hmm. 16 your 18 your 20 year old your 22 year old you know the we all know the developing brain works mm-hmm. you know is still working towards uh, finishing up uh, by 25, 28, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little bit later for males. Cause it's okay. You guys are a little slower. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Knew that was coming. Catching up. Catching up. Uh, no, but um, we're uh, it's, 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 it's scary. Like I really do mean to insert some of that kind of, of, reality and kind of the fear mm-hmm. and 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 being more vigilant about yeah. teenagers really kind of getting into this and what this means it, it, and it's funny too you know you think about it in this way because just because we can't see what's going on with the brain and you know but mm. if like we smoke cannabis and it gave you like acne right right or, right you know, like most of the time, you know, people will be like, oh, I don't really, you know, anything specific or, oh, you'd get these bumps on your arms or whatever. It's like if right. we can see it, you're like, oh, yeah. that's not really for me, you know. Right. Totally. Universe. Like if we were talking about, you know, somebody having cancer and going, OK, here's this sure. that's going to save you, you know, and actually. 100%. You know, it's just I think our our the way we kind of the lens in which we think about things and and normalize it is. Very distorted. 
Very yeah, distorted. 100%. But you know, that's the society. Everything's distorted. So filter Everything. <laughs> Yes. Find your path. That's the truth. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm curious what you guys are seeing at the detox there. Um, and especially yeah. in your evaluations, because you guys have mm-hmm. uh, you know, such resources uh and accessibility to to kind of, you know, what is what are kind of through lines are you guys coming up with? Well, especially when it comes to the, the the cannabis topic specifically, I mean, we have had a lot of luck with, you know, this particular kind of like uh, this particular client that we're talking about, right? Uh, you know, young adult, as you mentioned, a lot of times male. Uh, actually, I would struggle to think of a, of a time where it was a female right now, right off the top of my head. But, mm, um, you know, that, that has a similar presentation um, and you know, so we can, we can get a lot of history. We can understand about what's going on with the substance use, where it came from, if there's any causation there and things like that. But as you mentioned, Dr. Shalati, I think like the effects and the presentation that we're seeing with that person is very neurological in nature. We've seen a lot of success just in, in simply the person, uh, you know, discontinuing the use and being able to remain sober and just kind of the natural, uh, healing process that can take place there. We've seen a lot of, of young adult males be able to, you know, stabilize here, get some good data, but tracking them also over that next, you know, three months, six months period to see kind of what's going on and have seen a ton of success in them being able to clear and really not to have any kind of recurrence of any of those psychotic symptoms or anything like that. Um, but then unfortunately there are sometimes as you alluded to to where maybe the damage is is just it's a little bit more permanent right and there's going to be some pharmacological intervention that's needed in order to kind of stabilize and then unfortunately not seeing as much of that clearing and it becomes a pretty obvious situation to where they're going to need some type of medication for the foreseeable future in order to remain stable um but yeah it is very it's very interesting um how you know, the, the occurrence of what's going on is very neurological in nature. Um, you know, as to where I think, not to say that it's so drastically different from other substances. I mean, you know, everybody comes about that, however they come about it, right? Whether there's trauma, there's other things, it's experimental use. I mean, like, however they got there, they got there. So some of that part is the same, but how it affects them and the severity of the, the, the symptoms and things like that is very, very brain-based, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think if you, you take into consideration, like if a, uh, someone comes in, they're diabetic and they go, oh, okay, yeah, no, you're susceptible to this, this, and this, you know, mm-hmm. they have information and go, oh gosh, if I, but when we're not given that information, we don't have that. And you're just kind of, yeah. you know, filling your brain with whatever uh, substance. Yeah. I mean, we all, we all get this and understand this. And the more, that we listen it's all about education at the end of the day you know listen systemically we've seen a greater incidence of people just talking about their mental health and exposing more to mental health and giving um opportunities for us to normalize mental health you know Mm. i mean i can't even go to my kid's school now without every parent Mm. talking about who their therapist is you know we're just like yeah (laughs) yeah you got something okay fantastic you know are they open do they have an opening uh so it's it's nice to kind of like work towards normalizing that and yeah that experience and it not being like in our in our community or in recovery we're just like you know i think i think we take for granted that we're so accustomed to these conversations that you forget it's true the rest of the world often 
operates yeah. and we're and and we're in a, a beautiful position to continue and i love that you guys are doing this to just educate and give access to uh, yeah. because you know it's important information and we're gonna have our own ideas it is and i think i don't know it just came it came up for me when you were saying that the education piece i think it's also just really refreshing a lot of the times again unfortunately sometimes there's more of a permanent situation that's resulted from this but a lot of times, you know, when the families come in and they, again, they're scratching their heads, they don't know what's going on. There's been this event uh, for us to be able to do the assessment and sit back and say like, hey, guys, this is very likely caused by the cannabis that you're using, right? Yeah. Um, it at least gives them like a target, something to focus on. It's like, okay, like, you know, my son doesn't have, you know, schizophrenia, right? Or there's not some other kind of organic condition that is going to be kind of you know, life altering for him and also for our family system. But it's like, okay, like this is a thing, right? So it's almost like a relief, I think, in some ways, right? That like, okay, well, if if the prognosis is good and we can potentially try just, you know, sobriety and therapy and support and things like that, uh, that is a much easier thing to deal with, I think, than yeah. the alternatives, right? Right. As a parent, yeah. I mean, and I think that's yeah. why it's so critical. Graham and I were talking about this last week. Going to a place like New Waters and getting this kind mm -hmm. of evaluation should actually be the first step that you take I agree. in any 100%. consideration. You know, it's yeah. like you go and you get your health assessment. They take you, draw every lab possible. They take your weight. <laughs> yep. They go look at your nutrition. You know, you blow in the little tube. You're like, oh, great. You know, my lungs work. Uh, so it's, why are we not doing that on a mental uh, health? Yeah, right? Right. You just well, kind of go to one targeted thing and you're like, this is it. It's just this right here. We can. Yeah, yeah. this is it. And we, we know these guys do pretty good work. So we're, it's not even like, you know, we're going to send to this program because of this therapist that specializes in this, you know, will work well with this client. Yeah. Right. And I think that's yeah. where we need to get really granular. Um, but yeah. you're 100% on the money. I... Yeah. yeah. No. And I it's mean, that's just it. It's so funny that it, it's true. And obviously we are biased and we believe that as well, right? We should do good assessment before there's recommendation and treatment, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's just interesting that our industry doesn't handle it that way. But if you go back to like the graduate school days, right, Dr. Shalati, like that's what we were taught is that you assess before you do anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately in our industry, like we just don't really do that. Well, we're trying to change that. We're trying to change it. That's right. <laughs> so yeah. So, I would love to know. So, remind me again how many kids you have? Two. Two. That's two right. Kids. Boy, yeah, girl. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you you yeah, had two, and and you yeah. were done. Where I had three cool. girls, and we're still trying for a boy. <laughs> so, uh, not really. <laughs> but um, anyway, I just wanted to know, like, have you put some thought into like how you're going to into um, navigate that with your kids. You know, it's, I, I think about that all the time. I don't have an answer really at this point because my kids are still, you know, nine, eight and five, but like, yeah, at some point, probably in the near future, we're going to start having those conversations about cannabis and about, you know, what their friends are doing and all this stuff. You know, I having three daughters, you know, my like biggest fear is obviously like in eating disorder issue or anything like that. And, you know, because that just to me is just so complex and it's, you know, it's substances, you know, we can stop using substances, but you got to eat. Right. So such a different thing, animal, but you know, I, I just would love to hear kind of what your thoughts are around that and how to kind of have those early conversations with kids. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, um, I get as far. My kids are like six and almost three, so we've got right. some time. Okay. So yeah. my stress is really related to making sure like they get dressed in the morning and timing. Tantrum, right? Sure. Necessity to negotiate. It's, it's right. a constant. Uh, yeah. So I, I, but I. The problem. Oh gosh, you know the. The, I was about to curse and I stopped myself and I'm so proud. <laughs> it's curse. It's curse free zone. They, <laughs> the hardest part, I think, about us having the knowledge that we do is just that. I think we're yeah. super yeah. sensitive and hypersensitive to mm-hmm. the impacts and having the awareness around environmental factors, interactions, you know, school based interactions, romantic interactions, uh, what they're exposed to on television, their processes and ideologies around, you know, who they want to be and narrative, you know, on and on and on. So, and, and to recognize kind of how that forms and shapes their imprinting that then generates the like narrative of, you know, good enough, not good enough value. You know, it just, we can mm-hmm. kind of compartmentalize each one of these and have an hour long discussion on it. Totally. Um, so I think, you know, one of the, the benefits uh, and of being in a city that I think is more progressive than most when it comes to social emotional considerations and in Mm -hmm. school systems that think about it that way is that they're already learning tools to exercise that muscle in an effective Mm -hmm. way. And it's being endorsed by the school system. It's being endorsed by the family system. I mean, we're all like kids of baby boomers. So we have lots of Mm -hmm. stories to tell about Mm -hmm. managing our parents' expectations and lack of oversight and you know mm-hmm. <laughs> boundaries what boundaries you know you yeah. see the you see the memes we'll just that sweep like, it under the rug we're we're yeah, not going to talk yeah, about yeah. that that's uncomfortable right. hey, you know what what are these feelings you know what are right. these emotions yeah. uh and uh so i'm always i'm i even find myself struck sometimes too and i'm like I'm recognizing how well my daughter might be discussing like a feeling or an experience or she said to me the other day she goes well mama like that's my thinking and i get to change my mind if i want to and i was like but you're like whoa you are correct (laughs) yes 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 you do but still do as i tell you to you know (laughs) right right totally yeah no it's go ahead Mm -hmm. no you go you go you go i'll cut you off yeah, yeah, it's the but it is just that we're we're developing a, a, the the generation generations behind ours are developing better tools than we had to talk about yeah. those things. Absolutely, so is that translates? Yeah, yeah, and I think too, like at least in my house, you know, my wife and I are both in recovery, so they've they've never been in a house with substances, alcohol, like there's no booze in our house. And, you know, friends come over and I'm fine with having alcohol in the house and having friends drink and all that stuff. But, um, but for the most part, they're just not around it. It's not a thing. They don't even know what it really is, you know? So um, I think that like growing up in that environment probably will have some sort of a, a, a shift for them too. And, and yeah. you know, just not kind of where, where I grew up, it was, you know, cocktail every evening. That's what you did. You know, at the end of the day, you had your cheese and crackers and your scotch on the rocks. And, you know, that was how you handled life. <laughs> so yeah. and the other thing, the other thing too, is, um, and I think about this a lot because I mean, I don't know about you, Dr. Shalati, but I think for me and Graham in any way, we take a little bit of work home with us from, from <laughs> yeah. time to time. Uh, but I think the, 
you know, they wind up hearing the phone calls and the this and then that. Right. So there's also this like a this layer of exposure to like, you know, what the the dangers or the or the downsides of using, you know, alcohol totally. and other substances can look like, right? So I yeah. think that I hope anyway, knock on wood somewhere that that's can also add some value for them, right? Hundred percent. And listen, if there's ever a problem, we know what to do. <laughs> Right. That. That's the benefit, yeah. right? You know, yeah. I think that's that's the that's the gift of doing what we do or having the resources or knowing that, you know, it's just listen, it's just like your relative or your friend being an MD, right? I don't or being an attorney. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't hesitate to get their free feedback. Absolutely. Yes. Like, Yo, man, uh, so <laughs> yep. yep. or, or else I'll literally send pictures. I'll be like, what is this? What you know? My friend. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's better than WebMD. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. Generally, <laughs> Absolutely. generally speaking, takes away the hypochondriasis. There you go. Well, I mean, this has been a great conversation, and I really, really appreciate you coming on and just sharing us a, a little bit about your program and, and your heart and, you know, all this. It's always so nice connecting with you and, and collaborating on cases and all of that. So why don't we – can you just share with people where everybody could find you, maybe your website and, and possibly yeah. like a, maybe social media or something? Yeah. Um, oh, I, you know, I'm the first off I, ha- I have zero social media, so you know, oh, good so for you. Excuse. Yeah. I don't even have a LinkedIn, which I get yelled at often. Um, All right. <laughs> I know this is just how I just, this is how uh, incognito. Don't worry. We'll, like, we'll get you, we'll get you up to speed. I'll, I'll come out there. We'll sit down. I know. I checked on my phone. I'll give you this quick tidbit and I'll give you the website, um, but it's yeah. seasonsmalibu.com seasonsmalibu.com. And that will have all the information, but um, I don't ever check the stats on how many times you pick up your phone in a day. It's mm. terrifying. It's a very. Oh, I didn't know there was that stat. There is. Yeah, it tells see you how much time you spend on which app. How much? Basically, it's like how much time you waste. Um, wow. Okay, I'm gonna look at that. My count. I am not gonna look at that. Like <laughs> was like 140 in one day of like. Ooh, oh, okay. Yeah, we'll we'll start having com- we'll we'll just compare and then send each other screenshots <laughs> on how dysfunctional we are. <laughs> it's like the new, it's like the new world circle. Right, <laughs> not doing well today. Six thousand yeah. <laughs> steps, and I pick up my phone two hundred fifty times. <laughs> exactly. Not a productive day. So so fun talking to you, Doctor Salati. Yes, thank you, ma'am, and we'll uh, we'll see you soon. And uh, uh, seasonsmalibu.com. If you guys want any information uh, on seasons, and always you can reach out to us uh, at uh, newwatersrecovery.com. Thank you all. Have a great day. 